<clears throat> Esther chapter 4. This week, this last week, specifically on Thursday, a very important event took place 75 years ago. And if you were plugged into the news in, in any way, shape, or form, you know that that is the anniversary, the 75th anniversary of what we call D-Day. That was the invasion, uh, the Allied invasion of France on the beaches of Normandy. <clears throat> and had uh, D-Day failed, we would be living in a much different world. Would, would we not? Um the, the, the one thing, and most of my, those of you that are regular attenders here at Grace Baptist Church know that I am a history nut. I just, I love history. But <clears throat> one of the things that has always kind of captivated my thinking as far as D-Day is concerned is that the entire Overlord operation, that's what it was called, it was called Overlord um, the entire overlord operation was dependent on one person. Anybody know who that was? Dwight D. Eisenhower. Okay, Dwight D. Eisenhower was, his title was the Supreme Commander of Allied Expeditionary Force. Uh, he was the final word on everything that happened within the Allied uh, armies. Not, not just with the invasion uh, of Normandy, but really the, until the war was over, uh, he was the sole supreme commander. <clears throat> he was the final decision uh, before the invasion of France. Now, <clears throat> I have many times contemplated how difficult a decision that had to have been. It's one thing to go to a a group of people and make a corporate decision, but when it comes down to a final individual decision, and and literally you think about this, thousands of lives were literally in his hand. A wrong decision would mean the 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 failure of the invasion and the life, the, 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 the countless lives that would be lost uh, for, for nothing. And those that have studied history understand the very heavy burden that Eisenhower carried with him. God was in control. Uh, was in control. Uh, here's a letter, a co- well, a quote from the letter that he sent to the troops just prior to the invasion. He said, you are about to embark upon a great crusade toward which we have uh, striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck. What could drive a person to make that kind of a choice? And I believe it, be, it is because of this. <clears throat> he counted the cost. 
he understood going in, going into uh, into the invasion. They had estimated the number of casualties and and wounded, and and they they knew. Well, they they didn't know, but they they have calculations to estimate how many uh, 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 paratroopers would die and how many how many uh, you know the 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 rangers who. Uh, were attacking Point du Hoc and and all of these different things and they had all these calculations. So going into it, Eisenhower knew that X number potentially that X number of servicemen had the potential of dying within just a few hours. But if he did nothing, the cost would be even more. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people would die under the tyrannical reign of of Adolf Hitler. Something had to be done. Even though his decision would cost the lives of thousands, he knew that he had to make a choice. Many people have wondered what D-Day stands for, and we talked about this Wednesday night, so I'm not going to hash it out, but a lot of people think that D-Day stands for Decision Day, and uh, and uh, it doesn't, uh, and if you want to know, see me later, and I'll explain it to you, but <clears throat> the title of my message this morning is Decision Day, <laughs> just, you know, Dwight, Dwight D. Eisenhower had a decision to make 75 years ago. A very difficult decision. And here in the book of Esther in chapter 4, we're going to see that Esther too had to face an incredible decision. This decision could cost her her life. If, if, if nothing else, she would lose everything, but more than likely, if she, if she made the wrong decision here, it would cost her her life. Decision day. Let's start reading in verse 1. And Mordecai perceived <clears throat> all that was done, and Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth uh, with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and <clears throat> came even before the king's gate, and none, uh, for none might enter into the king's gate, clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherewith, uh, where, whethersoever the king commandeth, he, uh, excuse me, and his d- decree came, there was great mourning and among the Jews, and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maid and her chamberlains uh, came and told it her that uh, then when the queen uh, <clears throat> uh, exceedingly grieved, uh, she sent raiment and, and clothed Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he re- re- received it not. And then called Esther for Hatag, one of the king's chamberlain, whom he had appointed to attend uh, upon her and gave her a commandment to uh, Mordecai to know uh, what was and why it was. And so Hatag went forth to Mordecai 
unto the streets of the city, <clears throat> which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai uh, told him of all that happened uh, uh, unto him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasure for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him uh, the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to uh, to show it unto Esther and to, to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and uh, to make request before him for her people. And Hatag came and told her the words of Mordecai. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, as we look at this incredibly important passage this morning, I ask that you would guide and direct in our lives and that you would help us to see and to know how much you do truly love and care for each of us. Help us, dear God, to serve you with our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Mordecai, see, see, in, in case you're not familiar with the story, <clears throat> the the uh, the king of of uh, Persia has made a decree through a guy named Haman uh, to to destroy all the Jews within the kingdom. And Mordecai and Esther are are Esther's the queen. Mordecai is her cousin, and <clears throat> Mordecai puts Esther in a place where she has to make a decision. She has to choose what she's going to do. Now, you have to understand that in, in, in the empire, the Persian empire, there were, from, from what I've been able to best understand, there were approximately 15 million Jews living within the empire. So the lives of 15 million people literally are going to be dependent on what one person does. Think about the impact of that for just a moment. That is a huge, huge burden. Now, Dwight D. Eisenhower took the position as Supreme Commander. He could have he could have refused it. He could have walked away and said, Sorry, President, I ain't doing that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he, he took on that responsibility. Here, Esther is not given that. that she, she, she does not have that option. She is put in a position that, I, I don't know, I'm sure one of the thoughts that went through her mind was, this isn't fair. This isn't why do I have to do this thing? Well, I have a news flash for for you. Life ain't fair, and periodically we have to we we are all put in positions where we have to make choices that we don't always like. Life just isn't fair. Life happens, and it happens to each and every one of us. But it's how we make those choices when life happens that separates us from the rest. Amen. My first point this morning is Mordecai 
connects the dots. Mordecai connects the dots. I found it very interesting <clears throat> in verse 1. It says, And when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes. Okay, <clears throat> what, when, when all of the, the, the dots started to connect and Mordecai started putting all the pieces together, now all of a sudden everything's starting to make sense. And I can't help but more, think that Mordecai uh, started to understand the ramifications of his actions. Because if you go back and read verses 1 through 3, Mordecai was not the most gracious of people. Uh, he he uh, <clears throat> was had hidden the fact that he was a Jew, which to a Jew is one of the ultimate of insults. And <clears throat> so, you, you know, <clears throat> many people today, many Christians today, want to fly under the radar. We don't want to make waves. We just want to we want to melt in with society. We don't want to we don't want to be different. But you know what? My Bible says God calls us a peculiar people. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to stand out and make a difference. But now all of a sudden Mordecai is starting to think, "Wow, I should have stood sooner." The fact that he showed disrespect to Haman, the the uh, prime minister, if you would, at the time, allowing his pride to <clears throat> dictate his actions. Now Mordecai is starting to understand, now wait a minute, wow, okay, I am par partially to blame for what is about to happen. I have to do something. So what does he do? He, <clears throat> he, uh, uh, puts on sackcloth and ashes and he goes into the king's gate. See, and, and, and again, you have to get, understand the impact of what he just did. When he, when he put on sackcloth and ashes and entered into the king's gate, that means he actually entered into the outer palace of the king. And that was absolutely forbidden. Amen. Nothing, it, it was a law... Most East Eastern uh, uh, emperors or kings had this law, if you would, that nothing sad was allowed to be presented to the king. If if you if you were having a bad day, you know, you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and you happen to work for the king. Guess what? You didn't do. You did not go into his presence, or he would have you killed. That simple. You were not allowed to come before the king with bad news. You were not allowed to come to the king with a bad attitude. Everything had to be perfect. So, in other words, the, 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 the palace, if you would, was supposed to be a little bubble of happiness. Now, what is the reality of that? That doesn't happen, okay? <laughs> but the fact that he came into the palace, the outer part of the palace, in sackcloth and ashes... Had the king saw him, had the king decided to walk out on his porch or whatever and look down and see him sitting there, Mordecai would have been would have been executed on the spot. So Mordecai knew when he came in what he was doing, but he was I, I believe he was trying to get Esther's attention because that was his only way of getting to the king was through Esther. 
Esther hears about Mordecai sitting in the in the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes, and she realizes immediately that his life is in danger. So what does she do? She sends she sends clothes, a fresh set of clothes to him, and says and tells her her handler just says, hey, hey, go down and tell him to put these clothes on now. <laughs> and what does he do? He says, no. So I'm not I'm not going to do it. Why else do you think she sent those clothes? Now, the first reason is pretty obvious, but the second one is more of an obscure reason. And I believe it's because she didn't know what the decree was all about. See, no bad news was allowed to come into the palace. The decree to kill 15 million Jews, is that good news or bad news? That's bad news. I, I personally, we don't know, but I personally believe that the king did not even know the full ramifications of what was going on. Yeah, he didn't even ask. He just gave his ring to Haman and said, you take care of it. So the, re, the reality is she didn't know that her life was about to end. She had no clue. She lived, literally, in a bubble until verse 9. And Hatag came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Now she understands why Mordecai is doing what he's doing. He is trying to, again, I believe, get Esther's attention so that Esther then would go to the king and and, and I, I, again, I'm reading between the lines here, but I don't believe Mordecai had any, in his mind, Mordecai did not have any other options. Point number two. I, I, I call this Esther's excuse. Esther's excuse. Now get this, okay? I'm going to read it with a little bit of commentary here. <laughs> And and this is and again, this is how I read it, okay? <clears throat> In verse 10, it says, And Esther spake unto Hatag and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. In other words, she commanded, she said, This is you, you know, this is not an option. You have to go tell Mordecai this. All the king's servants and all the people of the king king's uh, province do know that whosoever Man or woman shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called. There is one law of his uh, to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold the golden scepter that he may live. But I, you get this? But I, not being called to come unto the king this 30 days, and they told <clears throat> to Mordecai, Esther's words. What's the difference between a reason and an excuse? <laughs> I came up. I, I I did some searching. And I came up with two with the the the, the definition between reason and excuse. <clears throat> there are reasons for failure, circumstances, and other people playing a role in failures. 
<clears throat> but behavior and decisions are almost are, are all a major part of the equation. So there are multiple reasons why certain things fail and, and happen. But an excuse, an excuse is something used to deflect blame. We use excuses to, to be sure uh, others know uh, the circumstances or the people who caused our failure. So what is the difference? An excuse is, hey, I tried, but it's Ronnie's fault. Usually, you know, <laughs> see, that's an excuse. See, but a reason is, hey, you know what? I tried, but I ran out of gas. That, that's an excuse or a, a reason. Excuse me. See, reasoning brings the responsibility on us. I'm the one should have checked the gas tank before I left. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Well, but Ronnie's the last one who drove it. He should have filled it up. You know, that's, a, that's an excuse. Now, as I read those, those verses we just read, I hear nothing but excuse. Amen. Everybody knows in the kingdom. Everybody in the kingdom knows that if, if the king doesn't call you, you are not allowed to go in. And if you're stupid enough to do that, if he doesn't hold out his golden scepter to you within probably three or four seconds, uh, you're gone. His guards have orders. And you're, you're, you're just dead meat. And everybody in the kingdom knows that. And then she, she, she kind of sums it all up and says, and besides, it's been 30 days since I've been called before the king. There's nothing I can do about it. Do you hear the excuse in that? As I, <laughs> I, 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 I hate it when God beats me up over a sermon. You know, here I'm developing this sermon, and I, I came up with this, this, this catchphrase here. <clears throat> you know, we as believers are really good at making excuses why we don't want to serve God. Are we not? Well, after I thought of that really cool statement, God says, oh yeah, what about this? And what about this? And he started reminding me of so many excuses I've made through the years why I couldn't serve him. Oh, amen. <laughs> I even started making a list. I'm like, no, I'm not going there. But we are masters, are we not? Of making excuses why not to serve an almighty God. I'm too busy. That's, that's a real popular one. But pastor, well, I, I don't want to do that. I'll let God convict your hearts because the reality is we're all really, really, really good at it. If you can't think of something, come to me. I'll give you a few. <clears throat> but trust me, you know what I'm talking about. We've all done it. Look at verse, well, point number three. Esther is faced with a decision. She's, she, she's made her excuse, 
And and I can't help but think that uh, at, that Dwight Eisenhower probably had come up with a couple excuses of his own why he couldn't make that final decision, but ultimately he did. <clears throat> Number three, let's let's start reading in verse thirteen. And Mordecai uh, <clears throat> commanded uh, and and answered Esther, "Think not of thyself." Whoa, he heard the excuse. Don't think about yourself. There's 15 million people depending on you. Think not of thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. And what's he saying? You know what? If we die, you die. Period. Just because you're in the king's palace doesn't give you a free pass. Because the declaration, the decree, was incredibly clear. She would have died. Verse 14. For thou also altogether hold, for if thou altogether hold thy peace at this time, then shall their uh, enlargement and the deliverance arise to the Jews uh, from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this? This statement, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this, is one of the most quoted passages of Scripture that I know of. Because it's an it's incredibly um, challenging thought, is it not? The providence of God. The fact that God is working all of these things out together. And they, God has people in places at times where, you know what? There's only you that can fulfill this need. And God has you there to fulfill this particular need. The providence of God. And Esther was there, and Mordecai is reminding her, and and he's telling her, you know what? You really need to put away the excuses, and you need to understand that the providence of God is at work. I personally see an incredible parallel between the decision that uh, that Esther is facing and the decision that Dwight D. Eisenhower faced 75 years ago. I see a lot of parallels in these two decisions. The impact of no decision. The impact of a decision. Millions of lives were in the balance. If the, if the invasion of France had failed, thousands of people would die for nothing. Can you imagine that the burden that had to be haunting the mind of Dwight D. Eisenhower 75 years ago. Thousands more would die under the tyranny of Adolf Hitler if nothing was done. His guilt, had had it failed, could you imagine the guilt that he would have had to live with? I can't imagine the guilt living with and the fact it was successful. If Esther 
did what Mordecai wanted by walking into the king's chamber uninvited. By far, the odds were against her. She knew, she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that by her walking in, more than likely meant her death. More than likely. There are two things that Mordecai... Oh, again, let me back up a little bit. Uh, Esther, if Esther did what Mordecai wanted her to do, and she was successful, the lives of 15 million people were in her hands. And even if she didn't die, she still had to be able to convince the king to right the wrong. A lot of things could go wrong. But Mordecai says two things to her that I think are profound. One is if you do nothing, God will use someone else. Think about this for a second. If you do nothing, God will raise up someone else. Amen. The college that I went to, Ambassador Baptist College, is a very, very small uh, Baptist college in, in North Carolina. <clears throat> but the president of our college, his name is Ron Comfort. One, cha- one time he shared something. I don't, I don't remember the setting that he shared this, if it was a one-on-one thing. I don't remember But he made the statement that I've never forgotten. He was talking about having had had started this college back probably close to 30 years ago. He started this college. And as he was struggling with the... the, Can you imagine what it would take to start a college? I I just can't fathom the, the... the, the resources and the people and all the everything to do this an, an incredible undertaking but this is what he said in reference to starting the college he said I wonder how many more qualified men said no to God before he asked me to start this, this college think about that for a second How many more qualified men said no? See, the reality is, you know, let me ask you a question. When Mordecai sent the message back to Esther, basically saying, Esther, you need to make a choice. Because if you don't do this, God will raise up someone else. Do do you think God was sitting up in heaven, wringing his hands and saying, please say yes, please say yes? No. Think about it this way. God gave Esther an incredibly unique opportunity to step out in faith and say, God, here am I. Use me. See, way too often in our walk with the Lord, 
we get things backwards. And God puts us in situations and challenges not to punish us, not to hold us back, but to push us forward. And he'll, he'll bring decisions and challenges into our lives to, to help us to step out in faith and say, God, use me. The other thing that, that he says to Esther is, you know what, you're, you're the queen and it's no accident. It, it happens to be the providence of God. Psalm chapter 139, verse 14 says, And I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, excuse me, and that my soul knoweth right well. You know what? God has made each and every one of us for a specific purpose and reason. And it could be, it could be that Esther and the fact that she lost her parents when she was young and her cousin Mordecai ended up raising her like a dad. All of those circumstances may have all took a play in the part of the sovereignty of God so that eventually Esther would be named queen and then that queen then would be able to influence the king later down the road. You see how God works? We don't understand that. Now, do you think that when Esther lost her parents that she grieved? Absolutely. Do you think that she thought, oh, that's okay, I'm going to be queen one day and I'm going to save 15 million people? No, she had no idea. But God brings her to a point of decision. Look at verse 15. And Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And neither, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, and neither uh, eat nor drink three days, uh, <coughs> night and day. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I got your cough drop, Ronnie, and I'm still, I'm still, no, I'm, I, it's in my lip here. <coughs> uh, and I also, and my maids uh, will fast likewise. And so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. For if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Now, it's really interesting. <clears throat> the word gather here, gather together, uh, when, when Esther says to Mordecai um, in verse 16, go gather together. The, the, the Hebrew word there is not the Hebrew word of, okay, now I want you to go get together all the Jews and I want you to pray. That's how we read it. The Hebrew word that she uses <clears throat> is the Hebrew word that a goldsmith would use when collecting all the silver and gold that he's working with. Do you think, just for an instant, that somebody who makes jewelry nonchalantly just leaves gold and silver laying around at the end of the day. No, what do they do? They very meticulously collect every single gram particle that they can find. They probably even vacuum their workbench to get everything. That's what this word is. So what Esther was telling Mordecai, don't just spread the word, but get every single person 
involved. Everyone. Why? Because she's scared to death. But she's chosen to do the right thing. <clears throat> she makes an interesting statement here <clears throat> that I, I, I think is incredible, incredibly telling. She says, if I perish, I perish. Now, we can read that one of two ways. We can read it, number one, uh, uh, in, in unbelief. Well, okay, Mordecai, <clears throat> you got me cornered. You forced me into it. I'll do it, but I'm, I'm going to die. That's one way to read it. The other way, which I think I believe is the right way to read it, is, is one of trust. Okay, Mordecai, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to try and do the right thing. And if, hey, if I die, I die. But I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to trust your advice, and I'm going to do the right thing. There are times in each of our lives that God will bring us to that point in our lives where we have no other choice but to trust Him. What is trust? Trust literally is just putting faith into action. Stepping out and saying, okay, here I go. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not into thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct our paths. Stepping out and saying, here am I. Send me. Do you think she was scared? Absolutely she was scared. Do you think Dwight D. Eisenhower, on the morning, or actually the invasion started on the fifth, on the night of the fifth, do you think when he finally said, okay, go? Do you think he had a, a had felt like he had just swallowed a wa- watermelon whole? <laughs> Absolutely. I want to read you something, a chilling letter that Dwight D. Eisenhower wrote, <clears throat> in, just in case the invasion failed. He said this, he says, Our landing in the uh, Cherbach uh, Havre uh, area have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold, and I have withdrawn my troops. My decision to attack at this time is based, <coughs> excuse me, time and place is based upon the best information available. The troops, the Air and Navy did all that uh, bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to this attempt, it is mine alone. Can you can you picture the burden? I I, I just I, I just can't imagine that kind of a of a burden. But again, I I see this incredible parallel with Esther and her saying, okay. Go tell Mordecai, I'm going to go before the king. But you you have to get everybody together. And you have to get everybody to fast for three days and three nights. And if I die, I die. Can you imagine that burden? 
the, 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 the multiple emotions that are running through her mind. If, if I go in and he doesn't reach out the scepter, then I, I will die on the spot. But if I don't, 15 million people will die. And, and, and then even if he does stick out the scepter, what do I do then? The burden of decision. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, And what shall we say then? Or what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? <clears throat> See, she had everything going against her. The law was against her because nobody was allowed to go into the king without being invited. The government was against her because of the decree of, the, of slaying the Jews. Probably the, the most important one is her sex was against her because females in that society were not treated as equals. And the officers of the army were against her because they all were on Haman's side. Have you ever felt outnumbered? <laughs> Absolutely. But she decided to do right anyway. You know, the, 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 the truth is, most of us sitting in this room will never be a, 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 a tasked with the responsibility of making the, the decision, the, the impact of a, of a huge decision like Esther had to make. Most of us will not be responsible for the lives of 15 million people. Most of us in this room, now I say most because you never know. <laughs> okay, you never know. Um, but most of us will never be tasked with the responsibility of the decision that Dwight D. Eisenhower had to make as well. But let me say this. Each of us in this room will be tasked to make decisions that will influence others. Let's quit making excuses why we can't serve God. Let's serve God with our lives. And when those choices come along, it's a whole lot easier to make good and right choices if we're walking with God. We can learn a lot from Esther. I don't think that Esther was a great spiritual person. Not one time in the book of Esther is the name of God mentioned. When she goes to Mordecai and urges him to fast and get the people of the, the city of Shushan to fast for her, the word prayer is not there. Nowhere does it indicate that she prayed or that she had other people praying. Now, the implication is there. 
But we would not look at Esther or Mordecai as spiritual giants in any way, shape, or form. But Esther did know what it meant to trust God. And if somebody like her can learn to trust God, then so can we. I want to close with this, with this quote again from Dr. Ron Comfort. And I want you to ponder this thought. Because it goes to the heart of what Mordecai was telling Esther. If you don't do it, someone else will. I wonder how many more qualified men said no to God before he asked me to start the college. That's a powerful thought. And I'll be honest with you, and I'm just, I'm just being transparent here. <clears throat> I thought the same thing when God called me to come to Fernley 10 years ago to start this church. I thought, oh God, there are far, far more people out there much more qualified than I am. And then I thought the same thing. I wonder how many people said no. Because when God chose me, He chose the bottom of the barrel. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I'm not trying to beat myself down. But there are far, far more qualified pastors that could be standing before you this day. And I wonder, just wonder, how many there were. Learn to say yes to God. And let God use you in a great way. Let's pray.